Um, first, Steve and Tina, thank you. Um, you guys have really taught me a lot. Um, you guys have invested a lot into the well. Um, you guys have been here since I've been here, so thank you, truly. You guys mean the world to me and, and my wife, and you guys have imparted a lot of wisdom into our lives, so thank you. Um, so tonight, um, there's already been a lot going on. Um, I am struggling to cut down on my message enough to stay within the parameters of 45 minutes. So we're not going to, you know, whittle around tonight. We're just going to dive right into it. So bear with me. I actually do have a lot of notes, but I say all that to say, um, this is important. And I think the well needs to hear this tonight. And, uh, and so with that, let's get into it. So, um, there's a lot of material to get through. Um, so listen quickly. Uh, I, I would actually really appreciate it. Um, I want to first start by giving you some simple information um, that the Lord imparted into me um, this past week as I was studying this. And this might catch you off guard a little bit, um, but um, the, I have concluded that God is not evil, okay? So I know that might come as a shock to some of you guys, um, and I know, just bear with me for a second, okay? Um, and, and actually, I, I do mean that in a little bit of seriousness, for real. The Bible says that there is no darkness in God, uh, that all He does and everything that He is, is good. And, and the, the, the definitions of what God does is good, even though on the surface it might look different in our lives. You see, we don't get to see the end result or the big picture all the time. But by definition, God is good, and everything that he does is good. And this is important tonight as we look through our passage. And our passage is going to be in 2 Timothy, so if you want to go ahead and start flip there, uh, you can before I, before I read it out. So, um, like I said, this is important, and we need to hear this. Um, and, and we need to hear that because there's another side to that argument that states that God is evil. Okay? And, and so... As we work through this, I want you to remind yourself that the Bible's not evil. What God says is not evil. But there are people out there that try to impart that into us. James 1, 13-14 says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by, or of his own lust and enticed. God will never tempt you with sin. Not only will he not tempt you, he literally can't. He says that he can't, and he says that he won't. And I wanted to give you this disclaimer tonight. Um, so so I, I just want to ask a simple favor. Would you just give yourself over to what the Bible has to say? Wholly and completely, give it over to what it, it says. If you had enough faith to place your trust into Christ... I want you to have enough faith to put your trust into the Bible and what it says. So I titled tonight's message, Apparently It Contradicts. You can see that on your study sheet. And the reason I did this is because the passage that we're going to get into looks like it has apparent contradictions versus what the rest of the Bible says. But the Lord tells us to be students, right? We have to look at the details. But if you don't want to dig and search the scriptures, like John 5.39 quotes for us, the Bible says that the Lord will give you over to whatever thoughts you want. 
Don't be like the people in Romans 1. Look at verse 22. It says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And in verse 28, it says, and as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are inconvenient. Listen, there's going to be people out there that sound really smart. And they're going to make their side of the argument look very inviting and enticing. And it might even make sense at first. But ultimately, what they're saying and what they're teaching is evil. And it's wrong. And that's why we need to be sanctified. We need to be holy. We need to study the scriptures and dig for ourselves. So if you would, look at our passage tonight. It's going to be in 2 Timothy 2. We're going to read 8 through 13, verses 8 through 13. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was risen from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let's pray real quick and then we'll dive into it. Father God, thank you for your word. Um, God, you're worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. Excuse me, glory. Father, I do love you and I pray that you do, like Cody said, remove me out of the way and allow your word to speak tonight. Speak to the well, motivate us, and entrust us with your gospel and, and charge us to go forth, Lord, into New Philly and into the world this week. We love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. So, the world and false doctrine are going to tell you that God has a chosen people. Then immediately they're going to follow that up with, conveniently, I happen to be one of those people. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? They're not going to give any context. They're not going to compare Scripture with Scripture. Not properly, anyway. They define the Bible with their own wisdom and explanations. So our first point tonight is going to be, don't constrain the Word. Don't put a box around what you think the Bible says, or what you want it to say. Let's let the Bible tonight define itself. And this is very important as we're going to understand what the Lord is communicating in this specific passage. There are key words that give us some clues to who Paul is speaking about here. In the first coming in verse 8, of our passage. It says, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was risen from the dead according to my gospel. Very technical, but God is a God of details. And so if God is a God of details, we need to be students of details. And this is the beginning of a sentence, the beginning of an entirely new idea communicated from the previous sentence or idea. That's how we separate ideas in the English language, okay? For you new guys that just came out of high school, and didn't pay attention to anything, that's how our language is structured, okay? <laughs> All right, so um, we're going to look at the seed of David, okay? Now, this is found a couple times through Scripture to set aside a few different people. Mainly, this is Jesus Christ as having a lineage to the physical throne on earth 
found throughout Matthew 1. So if you look at Matthew 1, almost the entire chapter is dedicated to his lineage. And this is important when we're looking at God's chosen people, okay? And their chosen land. This is a statement, uh, I'm sorry, this statement is our context. So we see the context. We know who we're talking about. We're talking about the seed of David. This is, this is where it's all or driving from. Okay, so who are the elect in this passage? Okay, we, we will only use the Bible to define itself about who is being spoken about in verse 10 here. It says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So we're going to look at the first word, or the first time, I'm sorry, that this word is ever laid out in Scripture. And this is called the law of first mention. A lot of you guys are familiar with this. And this is going to lay out a, a pattern throughout the rest of the Bible of how this word is generally used. So if you want to study out the Bible for yourself, pick a word, find the first time it's studied, and then you can follow that pattern pretty closely throughout Scripture. So Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom mine soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So this person that's being described is the Lord. And you can see throughout uh, chapter 41 and throughout 42, um, the context of those verses is describing a, a man from the beginning, which is Christ Jesus. And yes, we have been chosen for a specific reason. So this can apply devotionally to our lives. But this is not who is being spoken about. It is not about us. It is about Christ. But if you continue reading through Isaiah, you'll see a very important description laid out for us, which is the next time that this word is used. So verse, or chapter 45, verses 3 and 4, says, And I will give thee the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee, by thy name am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Okay, so now Israel is a person. Jacob and Israel are synonymous with each other. God changed his name. But there is such thing as dual applications in the Bible. And, and I say that because Israel is also a nation. Okay, so if you look at Matthew eleven twelve through 14, we have an example of this. It says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you received it, this is Elias, which was for to come. So if you would have accepted John, he would have been Elijah. Now, this is not a reincarnation. This is simply just a dual application. This is God using certain scenarios to fulfill his perfect will through us. And there's way more similarities than you could probably even imagine. If you go and just, just read about Elijah and then read about John the Baptist, you can compare so many things of them together that are, are spot on and exactly the same. But back to the point, there can be multiple applications to words, but you have to study them out. You're not allowed to biblically just apply dual applications to whatever you want. 
You can't just say, hey, this looks like this. Okay, they must be the same. It doesn't work that way. You have to follow the proper rules of Bible study to, to be able to do that. If the Bible doesn't say it, you can't say it. That's, the Bible says, if you accepted John, this is Elias. Okay. If it doesn't say that, then you can't say that. That's how it works. That's how God's word is laid out for us. And I say this for the last point. If you just finish the sentence, you can see these people don't have salvation. Okay, It says in verse 9, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. According to Paul's gospel. Okay, According to our gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 through says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the, uh, the third day according to the Scriptures. That was Paul's gospel. That's what he preached all the way through his epistles. Paul was willing to do whatever it took to get everyone and anyone saved, including being thrown into prison. In, in most cases, the people that were causing him harm and causing him conflict and hindering his ministry were the people that he's speaking about, the Jews. So my question to you tonight what are you doing to suffer for the gospel's sake? Are you suffering for the gospel's sake in any sort of way? I'm not asking you to get thrown into prison. I'm not asking you to get flogged. I'm not asking you to quit your job. But are you suffering? Are there people that are trying to hinder you? Are you making sure that the people around you are obtaining salvation by everything and every, uh, anything and everything that you do? What are you doing tonight to become a better student of God's Word, to be able to dissect passages like this and see what God's Word actually has to say for itself. You don't have to answer any of those right now, but you will be in a little bit. So just think about it for a little while, and, and we'll get back to you. But don't ever forget, truly, don't ever forget, the Bible is sufficient for itself. The Bible can describe and explain and define itself. All we did there was compare Scripture with Scripture to find out what the passage was telling us. And you can too. The Bible is good enough for you. You don't need anything else. So with that, let's move into our second point. And the second point is explained, the choice is yours. And we get this from 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. Amen. He cannot deny himself. I hit on this just a little while ago, just a second ago. And there's a couple, um, excuse me, there's other contradictions that we would seem to see here until you read the Bible a little bit and submit yourself to what it actually says, then there's actually really no contradictions. So look at that first subpoint 
it's going to be death and life. And I got that from verse 11. It says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Now Christ died physically, so that you don't have to die, spiritually. Romans 6, 5-7 through 7 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. So he's not asking you to die physically, you need to die spiritually. But like the passage says, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> So you, you don't have to die physically, like the passage says, but you do have to die spiritually. In the Bible, in, in Romans 12, I'm sorry, Romans, ah, Hebrews 4.12, says that the Bible will cut down to your soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it'll separate those two. And that is salvation. So, now that we see that, there is life and death, right? Now let's look at suffering versus dying. And that's in verse 12. It says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, Calvinists love this verse. You see, you have to endure to the end to be saved. You have to. It says it right there. If we suffer, we also reign. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If you don't suffer, you're not actually saved. That's false. That's not true. That's that evil that I was telling you about earlier. As a matter of fact, if you just simply flip the page to 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Same author, 16 sentences later, gives a pretty big conditional statement, I'd say. If you live godly, you will suffer persecution. If you don't live godly, you probably won't suffer too much persecution. Romans 8, 15 through 17, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. You and I have been placed, I'm sorry, you and I have placed our faith in Christ and have received the spirit of adoption. You see, I'm actually adopted. A lot of you know that. Some of you probably don't know that. I am actually adopted. I was not born of my parents, but I'm still their child. And growing up, I did not have to fear that if I did something bad, they'd just be like, we don't want them anymore. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. I received adoption by my parents, right? That means I'm their child forever, no matter what. They can't denounce it. They can't not claim me as their child. Well, they can, but it doesn't work that way. I still have my dad's last name, right? I couldn't do anything either to obtain their love. They just simply loved me because they adopted me. Salvation's the same way. It's only by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. But keep reading in verse 10 in Ephesians. For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained us to do good works. God ordained us at salvation to be sanctified. And when we choose to suffer for Him and not deny Him, we are made holy. We're sanctified. And we're made righteous. And if we are heirs with Christ, then what are we heirs to? Right? So we get to inherit something, right? So Revelation 26, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Amen? Man, that's great news. That's awesome. We get to hang out and serve with the Lord side by side for a thousand years. If that doesn't get you excited, what will? Honestly. This is great news. We have the opportunity to become priests. But remember, if you're not suffering, you're going to be denied the ability to serve at your greatest capacity in the millennial kingdom. Okay, so that's a ton of information. Let's get to our last point. We serve a faithful God. Amen? Verse 13 in our passage tonight, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You don't have to remain faithful to the Lord to go to heaven. That's just the simple facts. I don't think that's a good excuse to sin. But the fact is, you just don't. You see, Romans 8, 6 through 8 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can be as carnally minded as they come. You may get to the point where you even hate God. But I've got news for you, and it's actually good news. If you confess with your mouth that Christ is God, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead on the third day, you're going to be sitting pretty good when He calls us up. Romans 8.16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. You can't do anything to not be a child of your parent. And if the Spirit of God knows you're a child of His, same chapter, Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, like you sinning, like you leaving your first love, nothing, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what will you do with this information tonight? The choice is yours. Will you just submit to what the Word of God says? Fully? Completely? And I mean whatever it says. Whatever it says. Will you do it? Will you not only do it, will you preach it to the world? To your co-workers that don't really want to hear it? Will you become a student of it? Sit down and actually take time to dive into it and see what God can tell you? Will you tell the world of the love of Jesus Christ? There's only one way that I've been able to find that the Word of God can be bound. And that's only by you stopping talking about it. 
Now it's going to go forth with or without you. The Lord's going to get His plan done one way or another. But man, isn't it good to just serve the Lord? Someone in here might need to get right with Christ. Come talk to me. Come talk to Corey. Talk to Steve and Tina before they leave. Get that right first. And then just go tell the world of the love you found in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all I got. I'll go ahead and pray, and then uh, I believe Corey's going to come up and split us up. Father God, you're so good. Uh, you're amazing. And, and God, I do love you. I love your word, Lord, and, and I pray that the well does too. God, I pray that you challenge us to tell the world of, of what you did for us, how much you loved us, God, and that you would have none that, want to, that should perish, Lord, but that all should come to repentance and to know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you just be with our small groups tonight, Lord. Allow your word to go forth in our lives and uh, change us to be more like you. We love you, and it's your name I pray. Amen.